You're listening to the GP Supervisors Australia podcast, planning learning with your GP registrar. Your host is Dr. Simon Morgan, and your co-facilitator is Dr. Ed Polines. We would like to begin by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land on which this recording was produced, and pay our respects to their elders past, present, future, and their families. Hello, everyone. You may know me, Simon Morgan. I'm a medical educator working here in Newcastle on the land of the Wabakal people. Welcome to the third in the series of the New Supervisor series, Planning, Learning with Your Registrars. I am obviously in a very, very challenging time for, for many in lockdown, so thoughts going to those who are um, in that predicament at the moment. Welcome to the session tonight. And it's a great pleasure to introduce my co-facilitator tonight, Dr. Ed Polines. Ed is a very dear friend of mine and a very uh, experienced and uh, capable both GP, GP supervisor and medical educator coming from uh, Geelong. Um, he has done a whole bunch of stuff over his um, career, including working in remote Aboriginal communities, doing overseas aid work in places like Vietnam and Sri Lanka, in East Timor, he um, has been the sub-dean of the Rural Clinical School in Wangaratta and currently working in two very interesting locations at Wathaurong Aboriginal Medical Service in Geelong and also in the Living Room, which is a, a, a medical service clinic for homeless people in um, central urban Melbourne. So, Ed, wonderful to have you along. Yep. I don't know where you get this stuff, Simon. That's enough of an introduction. I'm a supervisor like all the other supervisors here that's probably the 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 main thing to say and as i said at the outset gpsa was very uh excited to be able to launch this new supervisor series so some of you may be on because you know this is part of that others may have just stumbled across the invitation and thought planning learning is an important topic in its own right but this is uh the third in a series of eight i guess in a sense loosely connected but certainly we see as core learning for new GP supervisors and certainly if you've been doing this job for many years and you just want to um, upskill and uh, reinforce some knowledge come to come to those in the future but tonight is on planning learning and when you think about the role of the supervisor we think of teaching we think of sitting in with our registrars analyzing consultations and giving feedback informal and formal teaching you know the, the themes of clinical reasoning and professionalism and as important as it is, I think the whole notion of identifying a registrar's learning needs, planning learning, and explicitly making that connection about them as a learner in the practice sometimes is overlooked in terms of its importance. I mean, it kind of happens sometimes in the background, but it, it, it may be just a bit organic. And I guess, uh, Ed, as, a, um, as a, say, an experienced supervisor and ME, would that be your observation? Absolutely, Sam. Um, and so Ed was, Ed was very chuffed about being asked along. And I think because it's an area that I think as educators, we do see sometimes, I don't know, neglected, but just doesn't have the prominence of teaching and feedback and the rest of those skills. Now, I'm going to just revisit very quickly content that we talked about in webinar one, which was around the roles of the supervisor. When we think about supervision, I guess arbitrarily, and certainly one model would suggest there's two key aspects to that. The clinical elements is the patient safe. The educational element is the learner learning. So educational supervision, which I guess in a sense we've got a stronger focus on tonight, 
is around educational development and planning learning sets really firmly, identifying needs, providing teaching on the basis of what you've identified in terms of needs and providing feedback on performance. But with clinical supervision, which is very much around patient safety and quality of care and making sure the registrar is practicing soundly, planning learning sits as integrally, learning needs around patient safety, uh, formal and informal teaching, you know, calling for help, the whole nature of how we teach around quality practice, and of course, providing feedback. So I don't see that planning learning fits in educational supervision. I think it sits at the intersection of these two aspects of supervision, right squarely in the middle. And so if there's one message I'd take away, I'd ask you to take away for tonight, it is the importance of this aspect of your role, not something that maybe just happens in the background. It's the registrar's responsibility to learn and identify, work out what they need to learn, but how critical that is, both to their development, but also the safety of their patients and your patients, of course. So I don't like talking about too much theory. We are going to break you up into a couple of groups and just have a bit of a yarn and share experiences, but a little bit of background as, as I'm going through just to, I guess, um, set that up, the Johari window, something I'm sure you've seen before and something that has the uh, moniker uh, Rumsfeldisms because Donald Rumsfeld recently passed away, um, talked about the known knowns and the known unknowns and the unknown unknowns. And I would really hope this is a model that you guys use as supervisors when you think about your registrar's needs. And so just to put this into some sort of context, Ed is a clinician, he works in Aboriginal health, he's a GP, he's a lifelong learner. And Ed, tell me, what's, you know, what are you, what are you, uh, put me on the what spot, Simon. To? <laughs> so what's known to you, and I guess known to me in terms of your learning needs and your, your knowledge um, areas? I think at the moment, what is really known to me is long-acting injectable bup because I've started it started no, I started doing it 18 months ago and now I'm doing a lot of teaching other GPS and some registrars in the area so I know I know the protocols whether I can fit it on the actual individual patients that turn up is different but I actually know that I know the protocols and I can tell anyone about it and that would slide I think fairly squarely into the unknown unknowns for me. I don't think I had any idea that I didn't know anything about that. So there you go. That's And this is the whole nature of what we're doing, that suddenly the registrar says, I didn't even know to think about that. And now I realise, you know, you might say, well, I, I did know a little bit about that, but in fact, I, I have no clue. So perhaps, Ed, what, what is known um, to you, but not known to others, what do you hide your knowledge about? And this is an important aspect of registrars coming and, and you know, they know that they're not very good at stuff. They don't particularly want to share it at times. So is there anything, Ed, that you know that you're not, you know, your knowledge isn't so good in? Yeah, I must admit, I work in Aboriginal health a lot of the time. Renal medicine. Some people find kidneys really simple. I don't. I go to things every two years because I just don't know. And they bring me up to a level of understanding. And then that dribbles out usually as I'm driving home. <laughs> and then two years later, I go to another thing to say, what in the world's going on with the treatment of people whose EGFR is low? So now if I was Ed's supervisor, 
I would probably know, and he was my registrar, I would know some things. Uh, I would be aware of some of his skills and knowledge um, that he isn't really uh, familiar with. And so they're the things that are not known to him, but known to me. And it might be, Ed, you know what? My observation is that when I've sat in with you, you know, you do struggle sometimes to give a good explanation. Really? I wasn't aware of that. Well, you know, that's just something I picked up. It's something to be aware of. So that's something that we can fill that gap. And clearly, through a whole range of things, the sorts of things we'll be talking about later in the series, sitting in with registrars, random case analysis, all those formative assessment uh, aspects of teaching, we can pick up the unknown unknowns. We're getting on to our first small group because I just, at this point, want to make the differentiation between what registrars want to learn and what they need to learn. And this is a really interesting paradox. And I'd ask you all to reflect on the last CPD events you went to. And in fact, this is one, maybe you're all really good at planning learning because that's what we do as GPs. We go to stuff we're good at and we like and we know. And we see it all the time that people turn up to a session on STI management and they work in sexual health and they just want to brush up their knowledge. Maybe they just want to critique the, um, the presentation. But we know the known knowns. We often go and, and reinforce things. And the known unknowns. Uh, we want to learn about stuff we, um, we don't know when. And the triggers are we see a patient and we don't know what's happening. So that's a very much a, a known unknown. Didn't know what to do. I've got to go and look it up. If it's interesting, sounds a really interesting area to pursue. I've identified that it's a learning gap. And certainly when we're sitting in an exam. And this falls very squarely into the clinical domain, pretty much. And so, as you can see, when I talk to Ed about his unknown learning needs, it's not clinical often. I mean, it frequently is, but often those aspects of practice that are less clinical. And so that's, I guess, a way just to set up this small group. And so what I want you to do, and I think we'll give it about eight minutes in your groups, is to answer two questions. What do our registrars need to learn? Now, clearly, they need to learn all that clinical stuff we've talked about. That's a given. And they've got to pass their exams. They've got to manage their patients safely. But what else do they need to learn? I want you to reflect on you as a GP and the sorts of skills and knowledge and attitudes that you practice every day that, in fact, they may not even be aware of that they need to know and learn. And so what are those common uh, unknown unknowns? So what we're going to do is to break into groups um, for about eight minutes. All right. Welcome back. Very happy if you just want to put it in the chat. Um, yeah, Elizabeth added the art of interacting with the patient. Fantastic. The chat. Uh, I think that's it. And, you know, isn't that wonderful, Ed, the word art? Because how do you, how else does an artist teach their um their apprentice without observation without it's not book learning it's not guidelines it's it's the art and that that's that's possibly the um uh the nub of what we're getting at here so if we just talk about before i allow ed to um pick up um the second part some of these aspects oh. Yep. I, I love to in the chat. Simon, can I interrupt you? Oh, I can. I can't see the chat because it's kind of oh, in the way, but please. Tristy's brought up the art of time, man you know, continuing on the art of time management, which is also art, which especially for, you know, registrars or trainees new to general practice, that art of time management, especially with developing a relationship where you can bring something over time, over weeks, you can you know, take that problem list and say some things we're doing today 
and something that's a real art to teach a registrar to say I would like to develop a relationship with the patient. I think that's yeah. you know an amazing thing. And it's about, as we've just heard, the art of consultation, connecting with patients. It's just essentially it's beyond the clinical, it's beyond domain two, it's communication and population health and professionalism and organizational stuff and just all the stuff that genuinely they may not think about. I mean, they kind of know it's got to be done, but it's our role as supervisors to flag those as learning needs. And so, again, I picked these up from the, the first uh, webinar unashamedly because they are absolutely learning needs and often um, those that are not well known, not well identified by a registrar. We've done the webinar very recently on clinical reasoning. Um, if you didn't attend that, it was good fun and very, very informative, uh, It's uh, as all the resources are on that GPSA web, um, web page. Communication skills, how to interact with the patient, but more importantly, and you can see these things, yeah, of course, that's what I do as a GP, but patient-centered care, is that something a, a registrar is likely to think about as part of what will make them a good practitioner without us helping identify that as a learning need? Some of those aspects around professionalism, and we're doing a webinar on that in November, um, organizational skills, so how actually to engage with the systems, consultation skills clearly, and we're, we're devoting a webinar to that, and the whole you know, the consultation as this vehicle by which we practice. Again, I think so many registrars kind of think it just happens. It's just ED uh, with um, lower acuity patients. It's not. Managing uncertainty, we're talking about reflective practice, how you actually genuinely reflect on your, on your, uh, on your practice and learn from it. It's a bit of a sort of a model that I put together. Again, I presented it a, a month or two ago, but I'd like to just to flag it perhaps when we're thinking about learning needs, we're thinking about learning planning and to think about the registrar or indeed yourself in the centre is the GP and who does that GP or that registrar, the learner, interact with? They interact with four places or four aspects. They interact with the patient, they interact with the patient's problem, they interact with the system that's around them and they interact with themselves. And really, apart from the clinical, where that stethoscope is, which is where they think that's my learning, um, they neglect potentially, and we can allow them to ne neglect potentially, all these other incredibly important aspects, patient-centered care, communication, engagement with the patient, organizational skills, and in professionalism, and engagement with the system, managing uncertainty, running a good consultation, engaging um, with the problem, and self-reflection. How do you genuinely reflect on how well you're doing, um, uh, reflect not on yourself? So I think that's a schema really to think about um, planning learning. I'm not going to dumb it down. My tip around this is that, you know, sitting down with your registrar and acknowledging to them that they are a great big brain on a stick is really important. They got into medical school in whichever country they did medical school in. They got out the other end. They did some hospital medicine and they made the incredibly wise choice of getting out of hospital medicine and doing general practice. You know, they are an incredibly intelligent person. And yeah, letting them know there's a supervisor that you'll be their guide. You'll be helping them move around that circle and find some, you know, part of our job is to help them find those unknown unknowns. Because 
as the bottom dot bullet point from Simon's is, learning is their responsibility. Our job is a little bit like leading the horse to water. From a definition of learning plan, I think it can be a little bit different for every registrar or learner you have in your practice, but learning planning really brings you between that clinical and educational structures that the registrar or the learner needs to focus on. And our job is to do it. I want to bring it back to a little bit of what I, my experience as a parent, and I, you know, was telling Simon this a bit earlier, that as a parent, you know, I've always fallen in the track, especially with little kids, you go out in the morning, you do something, and then you have something to eat at a cafe or wherever, and then you go home and the kids are like, where's my morning tea? It's like, we had it. We had that cookie and whatever at the cafe. And that's what I've learned. You've got a signpost, you know, for little kids. It's like when you go to the cafe and you have a baby chino or whatever, you say, this is morning tea. Same for registrars, highlighting the fact that planning their learning is an incredibly important part of the teaching you give them and the time that you give them as a supervisor and giving it a real name and saying, you know, we need to sit down and I need to help you plan your learning is an incredibly important part of it and saying, this is the real teaching that I'm doing. I think that's you know, something that, you know, I've, I've discovered in the sort of the last five years has really worked as saying, we need to set some time aside, you and I, and you need to do this too. So modeling that this is an important part of our teaching and an important part of your activities to make yourself not only able to sit exams and become an independent practitioner, but hopefully throughout your career, as I find with renal medicine. Now we move into another activity where we put you in groups of enormously skillful other supervisors. And I'd love some feedback at the end of it on those two issues of how can we help our registrars identify their learning needs. And if you guys can share what tools and resources you use and maybe then feed them back to us at the end, that would be great. All right, so breakout rooms, we'll see you in about eight minutes. Thank you. So from that activity, who did want to share some pearls that came out? Uh, I, I'll summarize our groups. I made some dot points. Um, I, I learned uh, something which I thought was very interesting. Um, so our group uh, advised that it would be wise to have a checklist of things to do um, when you first meet up with your registrar. And one supervisor suggested an index, use the index of MRTA and um, uh, highlight areas in green and red and yellow, depending on um, the how comfortable the registrar feels with them. Um, we also talked about using the college strengths and weakness matrix. Um, uh, another supervisor dis discussed the discomfort log, and I particularly like that one. Um, and um, someone pointed out that they'd use observation. So those were the things that we discussed in our group. Thank yeah, you. Great. Thank you, Taras. And I see the other groups had discussed, yep, index of Murta. And yeah, well, I think we'll head on, Simon, then.
and talk about some of the things that I use, that the other people use, that uh, we find helpful at times. I think um, Simon did poke me a bit because in our little chat, we did talk a little bit about the concept of learning styles. I know that lots of supervisors do a fair bit in assessing their registrar's learning styles and making sure they adapt themselves and their teaching processes to each and every registrar. And I agree to a degree that that's what we do, but you know, there's, there's also the way of using your strengths, getting to know your registrar, getting to know how they like to process information. And as someone said before, how they like to process you saying there are some gaps in your knowledge, that's really important. And I think there are lots of ways of just sitting down with your registrar. And I think it's a really important thing at the start of a GPT-1 especially, but you know, if you get a new registrar at GPT-3 or even some of you might get GPT-2s, just sitting down and knowing a little bit about where they're at is really important. And there are lots of different ways of doing that. That we can use confidence grids, we can yet yeah, definitely as as Taris was mentioning, there are a number of tools that we'll discuss. I think using something like taking an educational history, sitting down with the registrar, finding out you know, that they may have done a dip obs, they may have done a term in dermatology that you've got no idea about. They may have some skills that you can actually bring them up a bit and say, that's gonna be really helpful to the practice and I'll make sure that other people know that you have that skill finding out what they're comfortable dealing with is then leading into, you know, what can be some of the things that the registrar is struggling with or is really fearful of at the start of a term. And can I just um, make a plug? The IMG guide that's very recently been released through GPT. I was going to make that plug, Simon. Oh, plug, have you read the guide, Ed? Yeah, oh, I've used plug it. Away. Oh, well, there you oh. go. You can talk about it. I'm not sure why it's called the IMG guide. It's really good for international medical graduates, but it's also good for local graduates, I mm. think. And especially in registrars starting in general practice for the first time, it really helps in getting to know the Australian system. Like Medicare is really difficult to understand. I think not only for international medical graduates and people who have maybe worked in the UK or the NHS come here and think it'll be similar and then find out it is so different. But a lot of yeah local graduates have no idea as well. Um, we saw a fall down of the PG triple P system or having junior doctors get into general practice hasn't really happened in the last few years in most states. I know South Australia is continuing on some things, but also finding out if, you, if your registrar has done a PG triple P term or, or an intense time in general practice through some of the courses in Australia, there might be an immersion year of a registrar, of a, sorry, a medical student doing a whole year in general practice. Some registrars, it might be their strength you don't know unless you sit down and take a decent educational history. And once again, sitting down and saying, this is part of me getting to know you is really, really important for our educational relationship during this, you know, during your time as a registrar here, this is your teaching. I think to start with, 
The confidence grid was produced by, I think, the Institute of General Practice Education in Western Sydney more than 10 years ago is an amazing 41 page grid of, and you can hand it to your registrar and they can just have a tick. It's, I'm sure it's similar to what you guys do with using the index of MRTA, but does include quite a bit of specifics. And so they can work through it and look at not some of those organization and even ethical areas that they might be saying, yeah, I really, really have difficulty with that. And sitting your registrar down for 45 minutes and getting them to look through that is great. More recently, last year, we saw Jared Ingham and a group from Victoria produce this call for help list, which I think is another great resource of areas that in general registrars have found difficult and where they've needed help. And it's a really good thing to sit down with your registrar and work through those scenarios and say, you know, lots of registrars in the past have and not really felt comfortable with this. What about you? How can we help you improve your comfort in these areas? I don't think anything is better than sitting in with your registrar occasionally and making sure if they're your, even if they're your regular patients that you shut up and just watch the consultation and let the patient know. As good as that, or almost as good as that, is those things that I, it's a, always a pleasure to present with Simon, random case analysis where you sit down and just pick a patient from the last week the registrar has seen and go through it and try and understand their clinical reasoning and try and look at, and you know, you can give them compliments on things they've done. And you can also look at some of their unknown unknowns or the known unknowns that they're not acknowledging to you. Same with, you know, reviewing their inbox, looking at the results and just, you know, looking at why they actually have ordered that many tests or why they've ordered that specific test in that situation can help. Making sure that you are getting a degree of 360 feedback, making sure that you're asking everyone in the practice for their feedback on the registrar, because uh, you know, in most of our practices, I'm sure the receptionists are absolutely bang on on the feedback they get from patients as they leave. And they, you know, if they say, oh, I'm not seeing them again, or that was great, that's always good feedback to give. For most of us who are working with registrars who are part of a regional training organization, there are definitely assessments they that registrars do either, especially pre-GPT-1 or during their training and having access to those and sitting down with them and talking about it is really important. And I think all the RTOs are quite, have good systems with, with uh, sharing those, but actually setting aside the time to use them and then bringing the registrar around to say, if there's a deficit, this is part of what we need to put into your learning plan. You know, if you are, you are scoring lowly on all of women's health and still we're not looking at, you know, innovative ways in the practice to make sure you are seeing more women's health, being involved in more women's health. Do we need to look at ways where you can sit in with someone else? We need to look at ways that we can improve your training to bring in, yeah more opportunities for you to learn 
and for you to gain experience. I think too, for those registrars who sit exams, whether they are through either college or whether they're external, whether they're doing things online, or as Simon and I were discussing, if they're using you know, an external provider, GP Academy or any of the others, getting the registrars to bring in when they're struggling or when they've had some sort of assessment is really important. I think a multi-source feedback, yeah, it's so important to sit down and pick it apart with the registrar and not to just do it in a half hour session. They might, often they're embarrassed if there's feedback they didn't quite like. Touching base on it again in a month or so is really important. And, and my take would be, it doesn't necessarily have to be formal. It doesn't necessarily have to involve um, formal written documentation, but as Ed has, I think, very uh, well stated, to explicitly seek feedback from people around reception staff, practice nurses, and you'll be hearing patient feedback as you go too, um, even that, if that's informal. Learning plans, I love the concept of planning learning with your registrar. I'm not a big fan of some, what some of the regional training organisations, other people get registrars to do. That's their business. Our job is to make sure the registrar is planning their learning. If they have an enforced documentation for a process of learning through their RTO, you can help them with that. That's bureaucratic paperwork. Making sure they are planning their learning is our important task as a supervisor. You might have some provocateurs, but I can only agree with you, Ed. I think uh, having worked in an environment where learning plans were a requirement as opposed to that much more broad and I think important aspect of planning learning, if it's an exercise book in the top drawer, if it's, as we talked about in the break, a whole bunch of sticky notes, post-it notes, if there's a mechanism to plan learning compared to this often static and, and frankly bureaucratic artificial um, thing that gets submitted, uh, then that's you're doing far better. Yeah. And Stella, I agree. If the registrar resists a formal learning plan, I don't mind. I, I've talked, talking about some in the break or in our reflective bit. Yeah, if there's a whole lot of sticky notes in the drawer and they gather them up every month and put them in a plastic bag and take them home and whatever, once again, we're relying on the fact that they have passed a medical course and have a study plan and are able to process things. We, they, they don't need a definite formal learning plan that I like. I just need to know that they are doing it and reflecting on it. And that can be a real process to get down to that with your registrar and finding out the way they want to do it. I'm going to very, very quickly summarise that your role as supervisors in planning learning is to essentially identify the strengths and weaknesses, not just the registrar, but yourself, your colleagues, others who can contribute to their learning and teaching, help them identify a learning need, help them meet it clearly. Um, sometimes it's a bit woolly, uh, but, you know, as, as Ed's highlighted, I think, really well, um, you know, to document it some way, um, and, and, and encourage them and support them in, in meeting that is our role. But, but that most important line is it's not actually ultimately our job to get them across the line or to, to get them to learn. It's their responsibility. And I think this final slide, you know, for new supervisors, I think that's a really important that the bit you can teach 
clearly in the, the scope and the time you have is tiny. Some of it's known, you know, known things that they identify, some of it's unknown unknowns, but the vast majority is helping them uncover the unknown unknowns and letting them get, get on with learning. I do want to very, very enthusiastically point you to the, the now very extensive suite of learning resources, teaching resources on the GPSA website, including the teaching plans, the guides, um, and webinars. Thank you very much, um, Ed. It is a great pleasure. I think in our very long um, connection, um, we've only really presented together uh, a handful of occasions. And so it's always a pleasure. Thank you for passing on some of your wisdom and experience. But thanks so much, everyone. Hope to see you all soon. Thanks for listening. We'd love your feedback. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please give us a rating and or a review. And if you haven't already, please subscribe and share this podcast with your colleagues. If you'd like to ask a question or suggest a topic, you can reach out to us via our social channels. Simply search GP Supervisors Australia on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram or Twitter. GP Supervisors Australia is supported by funding from the Australian Government under the Australian General Practice Training Programme.